Welcome to Everyday Greatness, a nice little show proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group, one of Australia's greatest supporters of community projects. Everyday Greatness is a show hosted by a real human being, talking to some real people about real human issues that will help make you feel proud again of simply being a good solid Joe Bag of Donuts. Here's your host, Barnaby Howarth. Welcome to Everyday Greatness and thanks for listening. I'm your host, Barnaby Howarth. This is a show designed to help people realise there is greatness in being in everyday Harry Sacker roles. Due to coronavirus restrictions, finding a studio to record this podcast has been a struggle. But thanks to the generosity of a warm-hearted human being, Sandy, we're recording the podcast at Central Food, a beautiful cafe in Haymarket in Sydney where Sandy takes pride in preparing beautiful meals and does a cracking cup of coffee as well. This season of Everyday Greatness will focus on real-life resilience. Coming off the back of an unprecedented time in world history, people are going to be facing unprecedented challenges. So this podcast is going to try and help people through those challenges. I'm not promising a cure for a global pandemic. I'm not offering secrets to help businesses survive or five-step solutions to help you become the greatest person on earth. This podcast is just going to help reassure you that everything will be okay using nothing more than what's already inside us. In a society that tells us we have to be the best to be proud of ourselves, my guests on Everyday Greatness will help you realise that building resilience is done by the accumulation of how you handle all the small challenges in your life. How you react when you spill milk on the floor. Don't get that promotion you've applied for. Don't get the results you wanted in an exam. Or your sports team loses the grand final you've worked hard for all year. 2020 will have thrown up more challenges than most people will have faced in a lifetime. So people might be feeling anxious, nervous, and a bit down, and feel like they don't have the strength to keep on going. But my guests on Everyday Greatness will help you realize that everything will be okay. Some of the best tools for building resilience are those small acts of kindness most people do hundreds of times every day, but think they're so insignificant they couldn't possibly be making a difference. Community connectedness is more important than we probably all realise. And it's not that difficult. Building community resilience can be done by the simple things in life. Looking a stranger in the eye and nodding your head when you walk past them on the footpath. Sharing a cup of tea with your neighbour. Or picking up the phone and ringing an old friend just to see how they're doing. All these things feel like they're not making a difference in the world, but not doing it is missing out on a chance for you to build your community resilience. Being community-minded doesn't mean you need to have to be a warm, loving, generous neighbour with a heart, heart the size of Ayers Rock. It can be done for ruthlessly selfish reasons. Being community-minded can help you 
if you ever face struggles and need support. Dr. Brenda Dobia is a senior lecturer in social ecology and a psychologist at the University of Western Sydney. Dr. Dobia has made a career out of investigating the small things in life and how important they are in all of our lives and charting scientific reasons as to why they're important. Brenda Dobia started, helped start the Kids Matter program for mental health to improve mental health in children in Australia. She's part of the Respectful Relationships Education Foundation, the National Association for Prevention of Child Abuse and Neglect. Brenda Dobia knows more than most how important community connectedness is, not just for the communities themselves, but for all the individuals within it. And Dr. Dobia joins me now. Dr. Brenda Dobia, welcome. Thank you for having me, Barnaby. It's a real honour. So let's start from the beginning. It seems like a good place to start. What is resilience? Okay, so if I was to explain resilience from a scientific perspective, the, the idea behind it really comes out of epidemiological research that was looking at the kinds of factors, what we call risk factors, that make it more likely that someone experiences mental health problems. And in doing that epidemiological research, people became interested in, well, how come in a number of situations, people who you would expect to have mental health problems don't actually end up having them and they're doing really well? So those become the resilience factors. What are the things that protect people from otherwise succumbing to difficulties, if you like? And... The kinds of things that come out of that fall into a few categories. Some of them have to do with uh, what we might call temperament, a predisposition. So, you know, we know that those of us who are parents, you know, some babies are just a perfect dream and they, you know, they sleep, they're, they're happy all the time, which would be great. Others, um, you know, have particular difficulties at fr from the time of birth. So that's one factor. And then, of course, the family factors have make a difference, the way that you interact with that child. The intrapersonal factors that we develop, sometimes we call, well, we, we do talk about social-emotional well-being and social-emotional skills, some of which can come, as I said, from temperament, but a lot of which you develop as you, as you grow. So certain social-emotional skills are really important at the individual level. But what we also find is it's not just about individuals, it's about connections. You know, and there was, kind of extending from that resilience research, um, there were some really strong findings that kids who were otherwise exposed to really difficult stressors and trauma could overcome that and do well if they were connected to school for example, and school came out as one thing, one, one really important uh, factor that can protect kids from succumbing, so support their resilience, yeah. Um, and even more broadly than that, having one connection, there's a famous um, researcher called Uri Bronfenbrenner who developed a social ecological way of looking at child development used to emphasise that, you know, that one person who believes in you can make a huge difference. 
to your well-being and resilience. So, and then we can extrapolate also from that. That's in the field of psychology. When we look at social ecological systems, when we look at communities, it, the, the thing that comes up again and again and again, and I'm going to say not just with people, but in fact in ecologies, in ecosystems, is connections, connectedness. So that part is really important. There's what we bring to it ourselves uh, and what's reflected back to us by others. Very interesting. So is resilience a mystical, magical superpower that only the chosen few can attain or can everybody build it? I think it's problematic to think about it in, in, as an individual thing, certainly as a superpower. I, you know, definitely there are people with sunny personalities who seem to always, you know, see things as glass half full. That's great, but it's not just that by any means, you know. It's, it's those little things that you were talking about before, knowing that there's someone there. When you can't see the, the good things in yourself, someone who just notices that. You know, we, we're just doing a project in schools and I've been very interested... Um, you know, I'm working with, with kids sometimes referred to as at the pointy end, kids with behaviour difficulties at schools, in school, um, you know, and also outside of school getting into all sorts of trouble for different reasons. Um, and, you know, many schools are struggling with those kids at the moment, but we're working with, a, with an organisation called Learning Ground that's been doing it's specialising almost in working with those kids and re-engaging them with school. And it's all building on relationships. It's, it's those small things um, that we can notice about someone else and say, well, it was really great that you did that. That was, you know, I really appreciated it. That you gave me a smile. You know, you made... All of those things that build that relationship and allow someone to actually see the potential in themselves. So, so it really makes a difference. So talk to me about community resilience. Mm. Why do we measure how connected communities are? Wouldn't the world spin exactly the same whether we're close to our neighbours or not? Well, have a look at how much we are needing those connections now. You know, I mean, really, we're looking at those larger social systems that are breaking down all over the place and institutions that are falling apart. And who do we fall back on? You know, we've always had a... A, a very um, large dependency, actually, on those little things that people do for neighbours, for family, for, you know, the volunteer organisations. Feeling that you're connected to something is really important. Look at the, you know, the fire, fireys and, you know, what that um, enables and holds for the community. And if you ask them what keeps them going, they'll say, you know, it's the people in the community that they're looking after, that, that's the really foundational um, to our overall well-being, but particularly in times of, of stress, you know of, of, you know, of huge change that we're going through. Those are the things to fall back on. So, in your opinion, is the world connected enough right now to operate at its peak potential? Well, there we go. We've got to look at the quality of the relationships. You know, how, how, how do we, the, it's the quality of the relationships that's really crucial. You know, we connected digitally, you know, which is fantastic. But, you know, what's the quality of the connection that we're having 
in the digital medium. So how do real human beings develop resilience within communities? Do they have to have some dramatic wholesale lifestyle changes or are there little things they can do? It's, it's all the little things, it, really, it is. It's, it's about knowing you have a place. That sense of belonging is foundational. So, you know, that you matter to someone, at least someone, and if you can broaden that out, you know, through your neighbours, through the community organisation that you belong to, whether through volunteering, those connections are really make us feel safe, make us feel wanted, make us feel there's somewhere for us. You know, and of course, knowing when you fall over that there's somebody there that you can turn to, that you can tell your story, that, you know, and everything's actually, well, we're still just people together and, you know, figuring all this out together makes a huge difference. I know that you know from your own life experience, yeah. So how does a person know when they have enough resilience? That's a really good, what, how much is enough? You know, we, there's some really important research again uh, that was done in Western Australia, actually, the West Australia Aboriginal Child Health Survey, which looked at uh, all sorts of life stressors that were affecting young Aboriginal children uh, in, in particular. Um, and it, 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 you know, people often point out, with the, the, particularly with that First Nations community, all the disadvantages and all the problems, and we know the outcomes are really horrendous in terms of mental health, well-being, and across a range of things. And unfortunately, people tend to stereotype it's Aboriginal people. But actually, when we look at what's going on, what they found was the life stressors that those kids were experiencing, like within 12 months, those at the most extreme end, were experiencing 17 major life stressors. So that's a death of a parent, a death of another carer, a parent incarcerated, uh, family violence, all sorts of things. So this becomes a question when we think about resilience. How many stressors can we take, if you like? This is why it's really important to see resilience in terms of connections and not just as individuals. Definitely there are things, ways of being, ways of thinking, you know, a glass half full, for example, kind of orientation, uh, what we would call an attributional style that, that sees that um, things that we don't have any control over are not our fault, if you like, and that understands the kinds of things that we can do for ourselves and gives a, you know, when we give ourselves credit for the things that we do, that all helps. But it can't be just individual. It's not just down to positive thinking. Um, if we, there's a risk if we see it just at the individual level, that, you know, we can... And, and as we were talking about before, all the changes that are happening now, oh, well, all these people can get the sack and it's all about the economy and, you know, don't worry about it. That it, You know, it teaches them resilience. That's a very... Not only a hard-hearted way of looking at it, but I think a misguided way of looking at it. We've got to, we've got to see it's... What are the supports that are there, unfortunately... 
a number of people in public life are recognising that. What are the supports that are there? You know, with all of that going on, what helps someone to feel that they have a place and that they are being cared for, you know? And that's, that, I think that's foundational. It, you know, if you can have that, if you can connect with that, if you can see that you matter, that you have meaning, a sense of meaning is really important, then I think you can go from there. So can you give us some examples of real-life human beings who've suffered some sort of challenge and come through it on the other side mm. with nothing more than what's inside them? Mm. Well, um, I'm going to say, you know, I, I suppose I've been inspired in my life in part by my own father who was a survivor of the Holocaust um, and he was 13 when the war broke out and his town was one of the first that was ravaged. Um, and I, I, without going through his whole story, there were many, many deprivations along the way and he, and he was liberated from a concentration camp just, just in time, really. He was, he was really close to death. Um, and he lost his whole family. And that was something that stayed with him. Let's, so let's, let, we're talking about resilience here. It, it do, this is an example. It doesn't mean that everything's necessarily fixed. All right. Very hard to recover from that. You know, and he used to say, well, what kept you going through all of that? And it was the idea that he would find his family again at the end, which, of course, he didn't do. There were a couple of cousins that he found uh, eventually. But... You know, I think that example is, you know, you know how much you can endure if you like, and still get through. But the most amazing thing with my dad, and it certainly happened during his life, but then after he died, I actually went back to Poland to to follow up on some things he'd been doing there. He'd been going back and making connections, and talking to kids at schools, and trying to repair relationships you know which I didn't fully understand what he was doing but everybody that I spoke to said what a warm generous heart he had and he really made an impression on people and so I think you know if you can come through that kind of deprivation and that kind of you know I think those events you know and we see them it's not it's it's I don't want to just you know, that's an event that happened a long time ago, and yet we, keep, we see things occurring with different refugee groups, certainly with our Aboriginal populations, experienced, you know, some extraordinary deprivations, and yet to come through and, and you know, be able to have those meaningful connections and that, that you know, heartfelt sense of what I would call shared humanity. I think that's really powerful and profound, you know. Um, the example that I found very moving just recently, I became aware of the um, young Aboriginal artist. I don't know if you've come across his work, um, Ziggy Ramo. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's an extraordinary story, you know, and that really touches me too because my daughter's also a, an, an artist, a, a singer and songwriter, um, and to hear, you know, so he, he really got very much to the end of his tether. And again, because of 
you know, huge, huge issues um, going back to, to dispossession of this whole community and the way in which he's um, um, in so many ways disadvantaged. The experience of prejudice and racism is, is very profound and, and ongoing. And yet, you know, and it took him right to the point of suicide and, and then he was able to come back from that. And he used his creativity, obviously, to express what was going on. But I think that's something that's really important. Um, and, and I guess this is the counterpoint to the idea of, of just positive thinking, is that you have to be validated. Your experience has to be validated. And when it's not validated by others, how do you do that? I think creative expression um, can be really powerful in that way. And I think that, you know, he's a terrific um, example of that. You know, and then we have to respond. And now we have to respond. You know, he's raising many people with the Black Lives Matter movement are raising some pretty serious, significant issues. So how do we respond as a community? I think that on so many levels, I think this is a time when we have to ask ourselves, you know, what are we here for? And those profound questions can also bring out the best in us. And that's all about resilience too. Very true. So speaking of big life questions, a lot of people get towards the latter stages of life, often on their deathbeds, and say, what was it all for? Why did I chase money and big houses and fast cars when everything I wanted is right next to me, my family and my friends? Why does it take people so long to realise what the important things in life are? Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Look, I could I could come back to that with philosophy. I've done a, 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 a lot of study of yoga and I studied with an Indian teacher for many years and I've, I've certainly found um, some of those philosophies really helpful. So there are, there are in, the, in the Yoga Sutra, which is an ancient text and fundamentally about meditation, it talks about different kinds of um, traps, if you like, mental traps that we can encounter. Um, and one of them is, um, is dislike or like extreme dislike. We can kind of get caught up in that and then we're kind of really angry and they say, you know, that, that that's the cause of suffering when we have, when we get attached, if you like, to anger and resentment and hatred. So, you know, and I see that all around in, in, you know, the extreme competitive kind of energies, you know, that people think, well, I have to be better than everybody else and too bad for you and, you know, walk over anyone else. I mean, but and in the end, that, that actually undoes your own well-being as well. Another one of the, the points that they make is that attachment to pleasure is also a problem because you wind up always dissatisfied. Um, and what, we're seeing that at the, at the societal level. I mean, the, the idea that you can have ongoing economic growth, you know, ad infinitum, you know, and always accumulate more, 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 more. Um, I don't know that the, the, the people who are right at the top there who seem to be still accumulating more and more are any happier than anybody else. <laughs> you know? But there's something in the, in the, 
you know, in the assumptions that we make, the values that we give to that kind of consumption, I think that's really problematic. So now, you know, and now is a time when, you know, a lot of people are starting to rethink that, which I think is a really good thing. And fundamentally, it's going to be a real, really good thing for our own resilience. Uh, you know, time to, to have those deeper reflections on what's the meaning of life along the way is a pretty important thing, I reckon. Well, Dr. Brenda Dobia, thank you so much for coming down and having a chat to us. You've made me, for one, feel like I really feel very privileged to be a human being. So thank you thank to you. Dion at Look Studio Australia for recording this podcast. Thank you to Sandy from Central Food for hosting us today. And thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next week for my interview with Kate Pascoe-Squires. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Greatness, proudly brought to you by major sponsor ARA Group. If you'd like to stay up to date, check out our pages on Facebook and Instagram or to listen to more episodes, go to everydaygreatness.com.au or wherever you get your podcasts.